First Peter 3.18, uh, you have uh, sufficient notes, I hope. I don't, um, this message you have to catalog in your mind or reach in the archives and say, when was there a time that I felt I didn't have any hope in a situation? That there was nothing that I could do, that there was uh, no solution that I offered would seem to be able to reverse what was happening, leading me to an end resolve of no hope. And uh, <clears throat> you would say, well, I would think if a person is uh, in a country to where uh, starvation is prevalent and disease is prevalent, that they would feel hopeless. But often, if, if you're not careful, if all you've ever lived in is hopelessness, you don't really know that you're hopeless. You just accept that as a way of life if you've never known what hope really is. You and I had no idea, and it's still hard to conjure up in our mind what it meant when Adam and Eve made their mistake, primarily Adam. I mean, the perfect situation that any of us would want, you could name it and they had it. There was just one thing that they were told, you don't do that. Just one, just one. And it's kind of like the wet paint sign, you know. I know it's wet, but I just wonder if it's really wet. There's something innately in all of us that, or many of us, that think you ought to touch it. Adam and Eve had no idea the price that they would pay or that we would pay. And there was no hope. The word no hope means, and I've heard it before, and I've been with families who had a family member in the hospital and the doctor came and said, no hope. Nothing we can do. No turnaround, uh, just the way it is. No hope. That's an absolute. That's no second chance. That's it. You get no second chances. Uh, someone's giving up. Just give up, quit. I tried and I'm just quitting. And all hope for any survival or a change in a situation is exhausted. Here's another thing that we know, but we don't know. That is what our life would be like without Jesus Christ. You see, we've never experienced eternity. It would be hard for the human mind to gauge what eternity must be like if you've never experienced eternity. That's why the Bible says that the key to who we are is in that arena of faith. You have to have faith, even the grain of a mustard seed. And so we know that our lot was hopeless eternally before the cross and the resurrection. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. He uses this term, as for you, you were dead. That word dead, if you drill deeply on that one word, meant this 
that it was rotten to the core and had no living fiber or living cell at all. In other words, there was not dead cells or live cells. There was no living, hopeful cell at all, dead, that wiped out in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of uh, this world and of the ruler. Follow the ways of the world, that's culture, and of the ruler, that's the force behind the evil culture of the kingdom of the air, that's Ephesians 6. The spirit who is now at work in those, those being non-believers, are at work who are disobedient. That spirit of hopelessness, that dead evil force is functioning in the lives of unbelievers. See, how will they know the truth if they're blind? They're dead. What is the thing that that causes them to be able to see? It is the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, you cannot see until you experience the blood of Jesus applied in your life. That's why an individual said, I can't see it, I can't see it. That's why the good news comes, and we share that good news, and it, it primes the pump of faith in that person. And by faith, if you confess with your mouth, and in fact, you are believing faith in your heart, then you shall be saved. Peter knew what it was to be hopeless, but he did not know it until later on in his life. He did not know that during the three-year time that he had ministry with Jesus. Now, Peter was the get-up-and-go-by. By nature, he could have about anything he wanted. He made enough money in his community that uh, whatever he needed, he could afford it. He had drive and determination. He had dreams and ambitions. He had a gigantic business with his brother and family. He had strength and zeal. He had potential and desire. And he had leadership ability. Yes, don't set back. Peter showed up before time to go to work. I, I believe that. But he realized at the end, after the revelation of Jesus Christ in his life, after his denial, he came to the conclusion before that time that, hey, all I'm ever going to be is a fisherman and I'm going to die and there's not going to be hope. I'm going to engage in an exciting ministry and I'm going to use my determination and my zeal. And the process of the denial He came to realize after Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection and his heart was seated by that faith in the moment of his denial. And and to show you, to prove that, it it was not a major force that was in his presence when he denied knowing Jesus. It was just a woman there, just a group of individuals that were there that had no power at all but observed. He knew. But when he came to the revelation that Christ conquered, he figured this out and he began to teach it and he began to preach it because he said, because he conquered, now you have the power to conquer. So without 
all the, you have all the dressing, all the form, all the poise, all the intellect, but without the engine of the Holy Spirit through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, all you are is a shiny piece of equipment. And that's it. So here we go. Jesus fought the fight. So we find that for Christ died for sins once for all. One time, once for all. That's a good theology lesson because there are those who believe that there has to still be more than one sacrifice. And he died once and for all. The righteous, he was Jesus righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That was your ticket, your pathway to bring you to God. He was put to death in body, but made alive by the Spirit. Died, but the Spirit of resurrection. Peter's trying to relieve the pressure from those who have been tried in their faith. Those that individuals that are endeavoring to live for God, they've made the commitment and they feel the pressure and the twist of life itself. And he's trying to encourage them. They were abused because of their testimony. They were discouraged because of continual adversity. They were dismayed because of unmet expectations. And Peter said, I want to educate you on what I've learned. And I I want to encourage you on what I've learned. I have been right there. He shares the first point that Christ suffered. Listen carefully. Very few things, if any, in life can bring life without pain and suffering. There's only one that can bring life without pain and suffering, and it is your commitment to serve Jesus Christ. Amen? He he had the pain. He's the one that suffered. But you ladies, if you have a baby, how many of you know the pain was not fun? Hello? Pain was not fun. Why? You brought life forth. Start a new business. Larry Dobbs is familiar in the numerous businesses that they started on the kitchen or dining room table. You put everything out there on the line and say, wow, we're going to give every, take everything we have and pile it up right here. And hopefully that it'll work. The pain of not knowing what the future. So you take that step of faith. The pain was, he declared, that Christ suffered with the lack of security. How do you know that? Because here's what the Bible says, that when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Study carefully. It says that actually in the Greek term, it says that, that the emphasis that God turned his head away from his son. The security of the father was you're doing the will, but you are on your own. He suffered without the security, unjust beating, embarrassment, rejection among those that he supposedly had befriended on numerous occasions. So here's what he said out of the prophet Isaiah before this moment. He said, hey, I offered my back for those to beat me. I offered my beard for those to pluck it out. I didn't hide my face when they spat in my face. I took it. Why? Because I realized that there had to be the pain and the suffering in order to fulfill the prophecy of God and in order to gain the ground of freedom for everybody else. He paid that price. And it says in Luke 22, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, uh, his sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground. Peter said that it was hard for us to understand the pain that Jesus had and endured in order to bring to us the liberty and freedom. He states through Christ, 
that we are just in him. And so he says, okay, the next time you think life is too hard, the next time you think there's no hope, the next time that you think you want to throw the towel in or give up, the next time you wonder how come this hasn't happened. He said, here's what I want you to do. Hebrews 12, he said, I want you to look to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the cross, despising the shame. And now notice this, this is hope who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he says, look at him who's the author and finisher of your faith. Look at him and determine that. Hebrews 12, 3 says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary. Consider him endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and do what? And lose heart. Consider what he's done. Consider who it is, and we move on, and you'll find that even more important in a moment. Number two, Jesus served the notice of eviction. Served notice of eviction. And here it is, 1 Peter 3, 19. Through him also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. That's interesting. You'll notice that, that though Jesus faced physical death, he was quickened by the Spirit from coming from death to life, a miraculous touch of the power of God. And Peter then said he went and preached to the spirits in prison. That means just genuinely he went to the pit of hell. He went to the pit of hell. Now I want you to know there's some places that I wouldn't want to go in tonight. There's some parts of the neighborhood that I don't want to go in. There's some joints. Hello? that I don't want to go in. Why? I don't belong there. I don't have any interest to go in and have to take my life in my own hands. My judo is not as sharp as it used to be. My karate is still as good, but the judo is a little, you know, rusty. The place where they park in the back and there's no lights in the parking lot and it's all shaded. Don't go in there. But you know what Jesus did? He went in the most despicable, powerful lock of spiritual demonic forces and marched right in there. Why? Because he had the confidence of knowing who he was. In other words, I'm not going to go over there and try to do what I need to do to the demon of hell. I'm going to the house of the demon of hell and confront him myself. Amen? marched in and did it, preached to the demonic spirits in the pit of hell when he was there. And he said that physical torment and death, we know Satan had thought he had that, that hand up on him to the spirits and the powers of darkness. And Satan thought when he hung on that cross, breathed that breath, I now have conquered what I've always wanted. And that is, that is the Son of God. But Satan missed and so here's what Jesus does. He said, okay, if you believe and you are thankful that what I did is important, I'm giving you an opportunity to symbolically do what I did. Now, how do you get saved? Confess your sins, confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart. We know, all right, if you do that, you are, you're on your road. You're there. But you know what Jesus says? I don't want you to go hide 
and be ashamed of what's happened to you. If I openly gave my life for the whole world to see and to preach in 2017, he said, I want you. And that's one of the things that we talk about in water baptism. It means, of course, I'm saved now. I'm going to go to the water. I'm going under the water. And symbolically, when I go under the water, I'm coming out. Symbolically, I now have power over death. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creation. Read it with me, the rest. The old has gone and the new has come. I'm telling the world through water baptism, the old is gone. The old me would never be baptized. The old me would never think about it. The old me would never even look at it. The old me would hide behind my pride, but that's gone. Now I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. Things that I do now, I would not do in my sinful nature, but now I'm not ashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ. Not ashamed. I want everybody to know, but I want to experience that symbolic event that we understand. Jesus fought the fight and now has allowed you and I to serve the notice of eviction on the enemy. I told someone the other day, because they're just major challenges, and I know this is corny, but I got to tell you something. If you're going to serve God alone, you're going to do some corny things. You with me? You're going to do some things the world says, have you lost your mind? Have you absolutely lost your mind? Tell some of your family and your friends that you're faithful to tithe. You know what they're going to tell you? All the, all the church wants is your money. And if you lost your mind, you should never give that kind of money to the church. They don't understand it. They don't understand it. But here's what he says. He gave us the right. Satan because of that, his reign was broken. Can you imagine thinking you had the key and now you don't have it? His time now is limited because he on, he's on a short leash. And do you know who holds the leash? It is Almighty God, the Son of Jesus Christ, has the leash that's around Satan's neck because of his powerful hand. Satan can't go any further than God allows that leash to go. And then we run from him, we get worried, we have lapses. I'm telling you, what are you afraid of? Is nothing but like a roaring lion, hallelujah. But the lion of Judah was rose, he rose from the dead and said, I have the leash, you don't have to worry. I told this family, go through your house and anoint the doorpost, just of the entrance and the exit of that house. You think that'll do it? Well, anything you do in Jesus' name, I think is a pretty good deal. Amen? Amen? Anoint it. Why? Anoint your kids. Anoint, anoint the doors over the inside rooms. Well, well, what will that do? I'm telling you, the last time I checked, we need to do everything that we can. Somebody said, that's so silly, et cetera, et cetera. You know how you're going to feel when you do it? You're going to feel like I have a, you know, anoint your kid. You know what you're going to do? You're going to say, hallelujah, I anointed them. They are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. God, in Jesus' name, Satan, you get behind us. We believe your power and your anointing. You will not have a stronghold here. We cast you out of our home by the power of Jesus Christ. He served notice. His time's limited. His hold on you was loosed. Not only that, his eviction notice is served. He also declared to all of those out of the Old Testament. 
Remember Abraham? They all died without seeing the promise. Hello? Without seeing the promise? When Jesus was on the cross, hung, and in fact was resurrected from the dead, he said to those Old Testament followers, you now will have an opportunity to be released. Hallelujah. You may not have seen the promise, but the promise is yours because I have conquered the thing that held you back. And that's what he did with those who are out of the Old Testament. He brought hope. And so Satan, Satan is nervous and working overtime. Number three, Christ is in control. Say that with me. Christ is in control. First Peter 3, 22, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. With angels, authorities, and power in submission to him. That's why when you watch Fox News, don't get too upset. You watch ABC, Good Morning America, the radicals. Don't get too upset. Because he has power <laughs> over the authority. Ephesians 6, he has power. So it was Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. He went from from humiliation to glorification. He went from bondage to liberty, released from this human shell, this body. And not only that, he assumed his throne, his throne of authority. We know to sit on the right hand meant, according to Scripture, the authority to act on behalf of the king, the authority to secure the will of of the king not my will but thy will be done at the right hand we notice that jesus returned being a conqueror now listen carefully god was the creator the holy spirit is the comforter but there needed to be a conqueror to make the appreciation of the Creator important and give substantial foundation to the Holy Spirit as a comforter. It was the conqueror. The one and last thing was the lies of the enemy. And here's what it says, Ephesians 1.20, the message. All this energy issues from Christ, God raised him from the dead and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Say that with me, in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no man, no power, exempt from his rule. Say that with me. No man, no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but for how long? Forever. He is in charge of it all. And read the last part, has the final word on everything. The final word. You think the Supreme Court? You think that dictator in North Korea? You, you think Putin in Russia? You think that? Hallelujah! I know somebody. He didn't even have to speak it. 
He has the final word. He has the final word over your family. He has the final word over your boss man. He has the final word over your family and your children. He has the final word over your family. He has the final word. And when you fall in love with him, you give him carte blanche to say, since you have the final word, I'm turning it all over to you. I'm going to not worry anymore. I'm not going to get filled with apathy anymore. I'm not going to murmur and complain anymore. I'm not going to get haunty anymore. I'm just going to look at you and say, you got this. Hallelujah. I, you have the final word. I'm going to trust you. Why? When he is in control, here's what he does. He makes intercession for those of us who are in earth. And not only that, it has the power over sickness and disease. And he's given us power over temptation. Let me say it again. He's given us power over temptation. No temptation will come to you that is beyond your ability to withstand in the name of Jesus Christ. But don't expect to withstand it if you're not in the Word, you're not praying, you're not having your devotions, you're not living right. You're going to be weak and flexible. But if you stand up and say, I'm praying, I'm believing, I'm serving, I'm in the Word, then you'll have the temptation to overcome the power of darkness because the Spirit of God resides in you. Somebody say amen out there. Carefully placed a contract on Satan's life. We know Satan's alive. We see his influence everywhere. Everywhere. He has released us to pursue the joy that comes from his heart. So Paul writes in Philippians 2.9 these words right here. Therefore, God exalted him. Who exalted him? That is God Jehovah. Therefore, God Jehovah exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name. Come on, read it with me. That is above every name. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, let me just tell you, when you don't know what else to pray, just say his name, Jesus. It is the name of authority. It is the name of power. It is the name that will inspire you. It is the name that will comfort you. It is the name the devil hates. It is the name, hallelujah, that has authority just by speaking his name. And God said, I have now placed his name above every other name. In biblical days, your name was important. That's why it's here. In biblical days, a name was important. It's one of the things my father told me, all of us, all of don't you mess up my name. He was from the cotton fields of South Georgia. I don't know that he ever had a pair of shoes until, and then, then I, don't, I don't think his feet fit in a pair to begin with. He, he had nothing. But one thing he did have that was his name. Don't mess it up. Okay, the name of Jesus. So I submit to you tonight on the power of God's word with the anointing of his word that you leave here tonight with your notes and these thoughts tucked in your heart. And remember now you have the ability that Jesus Christ had for greater power shall you have than he had because there is a divine anointing on all of you to say 
Look what the Lord has done. In Jesus' name, God, push that back. And then let me share with you something. I, I was speaking with someone today, and they, and they were, they were uh, chasing a rabbit and say, well, if this happens, this happens, and this happens, and if that happens, what are, are, what are we going to do? And I said, just don't waste your time. Let me tell you, in every thought process and in every sentence and paragraph you speak, always ask yourself, if I keep speaking this way and I keep chasing this rabbit, where will it lead me? All right? This will give you a little, where will it lead me? Will it lead me to the truth of Jesus Christ or will it lead me to depression? Will it lead me to unbelief? Will it lead me to denial? Will it lead me to criticism? Where will it lead me? And if it doesn't lead you into the presence of God, don't say it. Amen? Why chase a rabbit that's going to lead you toward depression and anger and death? Don't even go there. Say the things that lead you to peace and prosperity in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your anointing. We thank you for the power of your word. In the name of the Lord, there are many in this room right now that have prayer needs, God. They have prayer needs, God, that they desire for you to answer. They have places of hopelessness. They have arenas, God, that are filled with nothing more than the imps of the enemy. But we are the anointed. We are the redeemed. And even though that force is present, I have within me a divine anointing that has conquered death. I have a divine anointing that has the Spirit of God that brought life to my lifeless, hopeless soul and has created in me a privilege of greater potential. You might be here, you might be listening online tonight, and you might come to the realization, I'm blind. I'm not really turned on to Jesus. I'm not really living in a way that brings the fruit of the harvest out of my life. I find myself complaining and murmuring. I find myself using terminology and words that certainly even if my mama found out, she wouldn't be happy, much less God. So tonight, Jesus, I want to make it right. And I'm thankful that I have not, I didn't die before this moment. Because had I died, I would have went straight to hell. And the devil lied to me, making me believe that I wouldn't. But the only way for it to happen is to confess with my mouth I am a sinner and to believe in my heart that Jesus is the real deal. So, Father, repeat this prayer after me, everyone. Dear Jesus, forgive me. I stand before you guilty. And had I died before this moment, I would be judged guilty. But because of your grace and your mercy 
and times in my life when you stepped in and preserved my life, I now realize you're the one that's missing in my heart. I confess my sins and I believe in my heart that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to worship and we're going to go to prayer. We have about 10 minutes or so to pray. We often say the words, well, all we can do is pray. <laughs> it's almost like a discount, you know. But can I tell you something? God is pleased when we spend a few minutes in prayer. If I tell you what are the things to pray for, there are local elections in our city. There's the issue with a no, in the city, no boss mayor or whatever the case there. There's North Korea. There is Puerto Rico. There are people in our church whose families are breaking up as I speak. Lies of the enemy, tormentors from hell. And we can pray. There's Ed McNeary right now in the emergency room. There are others. There's having surgery tomorrow, for example. We know God hears our prayers. So just what I'm going to ask you to do, just find a place and just pray. Pray for the services on Sunday. Pray for our missions conference coming up week after this. Just pray that God would move in a special way. We know he is able. Run not from the grace that is extended to you. And don't hide from the presence that convicts you. But stand and let my hand anoint you. Let my love surround you. Let my peace possess you. Let my heart become your heart. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but stand under the shadow that I have provided to you, and I will make a way, a way that you almost destroyed. I will make that way smooth again. In Jesus' name, amen. We worship you just find a place to pray. If you need prayer, if you need prayer, now would be the time to come and let us anoint you with oil. And we'll just pray the prayer of faith. We know the gifts function in the church. Let that, let that heart of yours, take a look at 1 Corinthians and you'll see that. But if you need prayer, you come, find a place to pray. And when you are ready, you certainly are welcome to exit, okay? Praise the Lord. Father, I pray for Colby. Pray for my little great-grandchild with 105 fever in the emergency room now. Would you touch him? Would you heal him? Would you anoint him? And would you calm that fever and give peace? 
I pray for Ed McNeary, God. I pray that you would remove that mass in the name of Jesus. Pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. Take that.